Welcome to Leading Women, your place to share and celebrate real stories and access the tools and resources to help activate your leadership. Hi, I'm Julianne Price, Executive Manager of ComBank's Women in Focus. And Leading Women is just one of the ways we support women at all stages of their business journey. So, no matter where you are on your journey, we're here. Enjoy this episode as we redefine the business landscape together. Welcome to Leading Women, the place to ignite your leadership and redefine the business landscape. I'm your host, Shivani Gopal, and in today's episode, we chat with an accidental leader who is relentless in the pursuit of change. Sally Ann Williams is the CEO of Cicada Innovations, who seeks out the murky ambiguity in her roles, champions lifelong learning, and looks at the 30-year horizon to affect change for people, planet, and prosperity. Passionate about changing Australia's economic base, Sally Ann shares how she blends her servant leadership style and self-awareness to step up and say yes when others believe in her. Sally Ann Williams, welcome to Leading Women. Thank you, Shivani. It's fabulous to be here and I'm excited to have a chat today. Me too, because there is so much to chat about. Let's talk about your leadership journey because, Sally Ann, you've had an incredibly impactful one. Can you share with us how each twist and turn has led you to where you are now? Look, I can give it a shot, but I have to say, when you say I've had an incredible journey and, uh, you know, have an amazing career, I find that a really hard thing to sort of self-reflect on because it's not something I've intentionally carved out or sought after. My story is pretty humble and I guess what a lot of Australians and, and people around the world would relate to. But, you know, my parents owned a fruit and veggie shop and I grew up in a sort of more regional area. I was the first in my family to finish high school, first to go to university. And for me, I really kind of thought that going to university and pursuing that was about getting a job. And working for me was about putting a roof over your head and food on the table and supporting people. So when I think about myself as a leadership, there's a real disconnect with my history because I never actually have seen myself as a leader or sought out leadership in any proactive way. It's almost been accidental and it's almost happened because of circumstances around me where I've seen something that needed to be done and I've seen nobody putting up their hand. So I'll just go, well, I'll do it anyway then. If you're not going to do it, I'll, I'll jump up and do it. Or where people have actually asked me and recognised some skills in me and have said, you know, maybe you should come and be on the board of this youth organisation or speak at this event or participate in a leadership role. And I think my naivety and um, not knowing any better, I've said yes without understanding what I was signing up to, uh, but just wanting to be willing and able and, and serve. Isn't that wonderful, your naivety of not knowing, in your words, naivety, I would call it courage, uh, <laughs> of not knowing what's there and taking the path less trodden has led to you leading into the uncomfortable and being the leader that you are. Which brings me to your notion of leadership, because from our conversations, it feels like to me, it's less about the position, but more about the person. You see, Sally, like you, I believe that leadership can come from anywhere. But there are times that we need to step into that position to affect change. What's your experience of this? 
Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I think for me, leadership is an attribute and it's something that you do. It's an action. It's not a position and it's not a title, although a position and a title can actually give you an opportunity to lead. Um, And I think there's a couple of things we really have to unpack with leadership. Leadership and management are two distinct things. They're two very different skill sets. And we need to give people an understanding of the difference and an understanding that leadership is something that each and every person can do. And it's not something that you have to aspire to. It's something you have to choose to do every single way. So if I take a step back in my career and I reflect on almost every role that I've had and every opportunity I've said yes to, what I've actually said yes to is not a management position or a team leadership position or a job title. It's actually what I've been saying yes to is a problem or a challenge that I'm very passionate about and that I want to solve. And in recognising that I'm saying yes to trying to solve those things, there's an aspect of leadership that you have to enact and that you have to do. So for me, the the thing that's really different about leadership, it isn't attached to that position. It isn't attached to your career path. It's actually attached to the kind of choices that you make every day in how you show up in different circumstances and what it is that you want to do. So for example, for me with my current role, you know, I never sought out the position of a CEO. It wasn't something that was in my career path. It wasn't something that I thought to do. But what I was really attracted to was this notion that we really need to change Australia's economic base and we need to have, you know, passionate people who are solving fundamental challenges in the world through building science and engineering businesses. And they need structures and support and infrastructure and funding and leadership around them to enable and support them to do it. So for me... I'm passionate about that. I do that whether I'm paid to do it or not. I do that in my volunteering. I do that in how I advocate. I do that how I encourage people. And so the role of CEO is almost a reluctant leadership role because it's an act of service to the greater mission and the vision of what it is that I want to contribute and go to bed at night and say, I've supported somebody else in what they're trying to lead and do. So it's it's a really hard one because I don't think about leadership proactively every day. I actually only think about it reluctantly in these kinds of conversations and it slightly makes me uncomfortable to see myself as a leader. But I do think that if I think about the attributes of leaders who I really admire, it's people that are passionate about a problem. They are authentic, they are humble, and they are servants. And, you know, they go after supporting others and nurturing others to solve wicked problems or to solve big challenges or to achieve their vision and dreams. And I'm like, well, I want to be like that. That's who I want to be. That's the attributes I want to have in my life, whether I have the position or not. I want to have that personally and professionally. You know, Sally, I really want to celebrate what you've just said about being a reluctant leader, because I think so many of us are reluctant to take on these big, hard tasks, or we think we're not cut out for leadership. And what you've done is just simplified that right down to, you know, if I want to build a greater economic base, which can also sound really complicated, it's not. It's about being passionate. It's about serving my people, and it's about being purpose-based. Yet in doing that, Sally-Ann, you've also learned some really interesting lessons via your mentors along the way that you can do all of this good work, 
but you've also got to be seen and recognised for doing it. Tell us about that. Oh, gosh, we're going somewhere a little bit uncomfortable for me in the first instance. So there was this pivotal moment in my career at Google where my mentor in the US, Maggie Johnson, and I want to call out her name and recognise her because she's an amazing woman and an amazing leader. But she really challenged me about the things that I wanted to achieve and the differences that I wanted to make around STEM and computer science education and some of the research work we were doing with partners. And she sort of said to me, if you really want to change those things, if you want to be involved in changing the curriculum in your country, you need a seat at the table. And to get that seat at the table, you need to be recognised. So whether you want to do it or not, you need to position yourself so you are visible And so you need to do media, you need to speak out, you need to find your message and you need to start articulating it in a new way to a new group of people. You can't just do it in the background. And that was really challenging for me to hear because it resonated that it was right and I could recognise the wisdom in that. She's a computer scientist, right? She uses logic. So her whole thing is it's logical. If you want to sit at the table, you need to be visible enough that somebody invites you to that seat and then when you're there, you've got the voice and the, the ability to use it. And so I did have to kind of go, well, how do I do that when I don't feel comfortable being that visible sometimes? And it feels like it could be self-serving. And so for me, that comes back to, again, what do I want to be known for? If I'm going to push myself forward, if I'm going to speak out, if I'm going to be visible, I want it to be about the message and I want it to be about other people and I want it to be about amplification and not about me as a person and me individually. I'm just the vehicle for that. And when I kind of made that straight in my head, it felt much more comfortable to advocate and to do that and to step into that role and to speak up and speak out. I'm also, you know, one of the traits that I have that's, I guess, a blessing and a curse because there's whenever you sort of think about challenges on the flip side of that coin is opportunity, but blessing and curses, I'm, I'm really stubborn. So when I see something that's not working, I want to fix it. And so stubbornness can be a really difficult trait to deal with, right? It can be something that is so hard for people to work with. But when you actually repurpose it and you make it steadfastness, it's actually that you're relentless in the pursuit of that change and you find a way to do it with grace and empathy, but with the courage of your convictions. And so it's one of those character traits for every character trait we have, you know, that we might see as a flaw or as an area that we need to work on. How do we flip it to the positive? positive of that and enhance that. And I think that sort of stubbornness or that steadfastness has meant that as a leader, I'm willing to get up every morning and go, what are the little things that I need to do today to make that significant big piece of change? Because it's not going to happen from one thing and it's not going to happen overnight. Mm, I love how you reframe that narrative. It's not stubbornness. I'm being steadfast. And that is so important because women often get told that we're bossy and we're not. We're just great leaders. And that's an attribute that we need to reframe and reclaim, which reminds me of something that you say, especially about feeling uncomfortable about, you know, being known in the media. It's about the other stuff. Leadership shouldn't have ulterior motives. It's not for personal gain or personal interest. It's about the impact that you make and sure you're being recognised in the media along the way. Absolutely. And I think the thing when we when we unpack that a little bit and we say, why is it important to sort of lead and to speak up and to be visible? I think sometimes it's to give other people a bit of hope that they can do that too and that you don't need to wait for that invitation 
and you don't need to wait to have the position or the role of what we ascribe to be a leader. Leadership is something that each and every one of us can do at every single stage of our career. And it's about deciding and determining in advance what it is we want to stand for, what things we want to contribute change to, and then going, well, what's the bite-sized things that I can do every single step of the way, every single day in my sphere of influence and my sphere of control to make that difference? And I keep saying this to people. Whenever somebody says to me, leadership is around positions, it's not. It's actually around your personal attributes and what you choose to do every single moment. So, Sally, I really want to double down on that because you have this incredible knack of shaping your own leadership positions to maximise impact. As you say, it's not about the position, it's about the person. How do you go about doing this? There's something I've kind of realised over the last, maybe it's the last four or five years. I'd like to think it would be the last decade, uh, but I'd be lying if if I say I didn't still learn this lesson every day. For me... I really want to spend time and energy in my workplace on things that I'm passionate about. And so for me to be successful in that, instead of focusing on the title, the position, the salary, all of those sorts of things, I've kind of taken a really good introspective look at myself and go, what makes me successful? When am I in my best flow? When am I able to achieve the things that are hard, that are murky, that are difficult? And it's when, actually, it's when there is the hard, the murky and the difficult and there's an unclear pathway forward because that's when my sort of steadfastness or stubbornness comes out and my willingness to dive into that puzzle. But it's things around needing to have ownership, needing to have authority, needing to have the delegation of responsibility to make decisions in the moment and to follow through on those actions in the moment. And for me, when I think about the types of roles that I have, both, you know, in my in my full-time role, but also in my board roles, in my volunteering, in my not-for-profit board roles, it's about how can I affect change and when am I most effective? And so I look for the culture. I look for the leaders around me. I look for the people that are saying, are you going to give me the authority to make the change and to dive in and to change the things, to be willing to kill the things that aren't working and to say, we need to actually have a good hard look at this and say, it's not working for us anymore. It's not serving. Let's do something different. Let's do something new. Let's not shy away from the hard conversations, but lead into them. Because when we actually spend the time and the effort and we really interrogate that collectively as a group, and we've got a safe environment to do that in, we're going to come out of it on the other side a lot stronger. So for me, when I think about saying yes to something, that's what I look for. Sally-Ann, you've talked about many of your accomplishments just now, talking about your CEO role, your many board positions. And I want to just acknowledge something that you just said. You said you still learn something along the way. Your power is about knowing thyself, but you still need to keep learning that you need to be your best self. You don't just arrive and know that you strive in the murky, in the ambiguity. And I think that shares a great leadership lesson for everyone listening. Let's lean into that piece, though. You thrive in the murkiness, in the ambiguity. How in the world do you do that? Look, I think this one is actually probably one of those inherent traits that I've been born with. I am a bit of a puzzle freak. Growing up, I loved things like Sudoku puzzles. And I'm one of those people that cannot sleep at night if I haven't solved the problem that I'm working on. I need to sort of work at it from every different angle, rehash it, pull it apart, put it back together again. It's something that I really love because there's something satisfying about deeply understanding the context of the problem. 
what every single piece of that problem is, and then actually how do you reconstitute it and reframe it to lead towards a solution. I think the other thing about sort of, you know, solving the murky and solving the challenges is there's something about it that means you have to be humble in your approach because no one has all the answers and no one knows every single piece of the puzzle. So you have to try things and you have to kind of experiment and find out what works and what doesn't work. And I think about experimentation, we're taught in school so often that it's either a pass or a fail. It's yes or no. And the reality in in life is binary is not the answer. Yes or no is never the right decision. Somewhere in the middle is actually what is the most fruitful place to be. And so that murky place where it's unclear about the big, hard challenges, the 30-year horizon stuff, the stuff that's going to make an impact for people, planet and prosperity, we don't have all of the answers for that. We cannot know every single step of that journey before we start going on it. So what we have to do is put a stake in the ground and say, well, this is what we want it to look like at the end. And how do we break that down and work backwards from that future perspective and just take those small steps towards achieving it? And eventually the entire road is clear. Eventually every single brick, every single you know thing that needs to be built into that journey becomes apparent. But on day one, it's never there. But if you're waiting for that, you're never going to take that first step. And there's something addictive about doing it, right? If you're in a safe environment where you have that delegated authority, where you have supportive people around you who say, it's okay to fail, but learn from it, because failure is actually not failure. It's just a learning step on the path of success. When you're in that environment, you cultivate that around you Everybody wants to go after something bigger and something harder. Nobody wants to do the day-to-day work. I also have another character trait that sort of leads to this is I get bored very, very, very easily. I hate doing routine. I hate doing the same thing day after day. So if I can automate the boring stuff, it gives me the opportunity to think about the hard things that no one else wants to think about because they don't know how to solve them yet. It's something that I love getting people around me or my team comfortable with because discomfort is only discomfort for the first few minutes. As soon as your body adapts, as soon as your brain adapts, it actually becomes your next comfort zone. So you can keep stretching forward as far as you like and you never run out of challenges to solve. You've given me this really powerful visual of me jumping into a really cold swimming pool and shivering and then just suddenly getting really comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling of cold water. And that's the metaphor that I saw when you talk so openly about your failures. You're creating an environment of positive psychological safety for people to thrive. Well, I'm not perfect, right? Nobody is. And I think that as a leader, if you think you're perfect, if you think you're fabulous, if you think you have all the answers, you're just heading for a massive fall. And for me, Authenticity is absolutely one of my, you know, core goals to lead authentically. And authentic, you know, leadership means that, you know, when you are standing up in front of somebody, you say, I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know how to do these things, but it doesn't matter because we're going to figure it out together and we're going to do it anyway. And I think if a leader, if you do that and you, you know, showcase that and you lead with that level of authenticity, you've automatically given everybody permission in the room to say, no idea how to do it, but I want to be part of it. And, you know, that that's actually really easy to do. I'm also not afraid of making a fool of myself. So that probably helps with the authenticity. I've made a fool of myself many, 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 many times in my life and 
I'm very willing to put myself in that position. I'd rather have tried and failed than to have not tried at all. Sally, one of the things I love about you is you simply know the power of what drives you and you're able to call out what is genuine leadership and what is not, whether you have the authority to make change or whether you simply don't want to work there. I hear that there was a time that you just said to someone, nope, not working for me. Tell me about that. It's a great question. And I'm actually a lot more confident in my nose now than I ever have been. So there's two parts to this question. So can I actually give you a little bit of a a backstory? As As a woman and as a woman that has grown in her career, there's an expected pathway that we're to go forward. We are to go up the leadership ladder, to take the CEO role if it's offered, to join the boards, to join the ASX listed boards. And that's what we're meant to do because women need to be leading and we need to be representing. And I really struggled with this because there was this moment in time, the first time it happened to me, I had somebody come and offer me an opportunity that I wasn't seeking. And it was around significant change at a strategic level and a cultural level in a very large organisation. And they said, we can give you whatever you ask. We will pay you a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, We will give you the authority. We'll give you all of these things to lead. This is what we want you to do. And when I interrogated that a little bit more and I said, well, you know, tell me what it is, what success really looks like in this role. And they listed out sort of all the things that I would need to achieve. I said, well, for me to achieve those things, here's what I need. I need the absolute authority reporting into the CEO to drive all of that change. I need this kind of budget. I need this kind of team. And all of these other subsequent things need to come under my control because otherwise change is never going to be effective. You're basically going to have a headline inside and outside your organisation, but you're not actually going to change the structure. You're not going to change the process and you're not going to change the system. And so basically you're setting me and the entire organisation up for failure. So that just doesn't seem to work to me. And I said, and it's not about the money. You could give me less money, but I'd need these other things to be effective. And, you know, it was really great because the answer was absolutely no way could I have that delegated authority that I would need to make the change. And so it was really easy for me to say no. And I think that's kind of the lesson I've started to learn over and over again is just because society now as women expects us to lead and say yes to every opportunity, what we really need to do is look at ourselves and go, what makes me happy? What am I passionate about? What environment am I really successful in? Like, what are the drivers of my success factors? And does this environment offer them? Or can I have the authority and the ability to put that environment in place? And then I can say yes or no. And so you're really starting to choose the things that matter and choose the things where you could be effective versus actually saying yes to things because there seems to be this sort of societal obligation. And that's something that I'm kind of just coming into now and have said no to a few more board roles and a few other things because I don't think I can be effective in the organisation. I've actually come off boards because I've actually found that the environment was not the right environment to drive the change they see said they wanted versus the change that I'm there to deliver. And it's it's really freeing when you start to kind of understand that because then there's power in the choices that you make. And, you know, what I really love is to be satisfied in what I'm doing every day and feeling like I'm having that impact. And so it's something I think it's hard to know yourself and it's hard to really ask yourself those questions. But the more that you do it, the more comfortable you become in your skin and you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at. And you surround, you look for people who have the strengths that you don't and you bring them into your team because then collectively, you know, that sum total of who you are is incredibly powerful. And yet another reason to know yourself because 
Women don't need to be grateful for these leadership positions. We can and should choose the ones that really serve us and have the vested authority in order to get the stuff done that we need to do. Sally, as women, we tend to wait as well Mm -hmm. to when conditions are just right or to be invited to the table. And of course, we should be able to say yes or no. But what is your sage advice for women who don't want to wait any longer to lead? So this is absolutely a soapbox moment for me that I will stand on and stomp my feet quite happily in. I don't believe women need to wait for permission or need to wait for a moment in time to stand up and be leaders. And I don't believe they need to wait for anybody else to give them that agency to do it. I don't want to burden women with the responsibility of becoming a leader or being a leader in everything in their life. You know, we already carry a lot of burdens and in many ways women are naturally having to lean into leadership in their homes and in their communities already. But I do think that every single woman and girl and young women um, can play a role in active leadership in society, in their workplace, in their families right now. And the only thing is stopping us is ourselves. And what I mean by that is that everybody has a sphere of influence and a sphere of control. And those things, you know, the sphere of what you control is what you're in charge of. Now, if you're in a family, you have a role in that family and there's certain things that are your responsibility. In your workplace, you have certain things under your responsibility. And so what you have control of, take ownership of it, lead into it. Don't wait for permission. You know, this famous Grace Hopper saying, which I love is, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, right? So just lean in and do it around the things, recognize where you have that direct control and exercise it and find a way to do it that uplifts people and brings people on the journey with you. But the big place that I think that we miss as women and we don't necessarily stand up and lean into is the sphere of influence. And sphere of influence is something that women can do so well. And I think if we actually doubled down and all did this every single day, we could actually really fundamentally change some of the structures of society and the world for the better. And a sphere of influence is knowing that, you know, what it is you care about what positions you take in it, the type of actions that you want to make every day, and then speaking to people about it. You never know who is in the room around you. I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast. I don't know what it is that they want to achieve, but maybe this is the one thing that they need to take away to go, I'm going to get out of bed today and I'm going to go work on this thing that I want to see changed in the world. There is absolutely nothing stopping you but you. And you never know who, what powerful person could be in the room around you. Everybody has that sphere of power, that sphere of control, who that person is that you're influencing to make change. And I've made changes in our national policy for education, for innovation, all these things I have zero control over. It's not my authority. It's not in my direct control of my job. It's never been in those things. But I can actually lean into the processes of government. I can lean into the processes of of questioning of roundtables and provide a voice and actually advocate for change. And sometimes that happens. So that sphere of influence piece is something that I think every single one of us needs to lean into and choose what it is that we want to do every single day. So get out of your own way and back yourself and get out there and get that leadership position and know your sphere of influence. Mm. I think one of the things, though, that tends to get in our way sometimes in affecting that change, in owning that sphere of influence, is that we tend to shy away from conflict mm. and difficult conversations, and that sort of stops us 
from achieving change. And you've got some real great advice around this, don't you, Sally? Look, I, I do think most of us are actually conflict avoidant. We don't want to be the difficult person in the room. We don't want to be the person that is the naysayer. But the reality about difficult conversations is they don't have to come with conflict. They don't have to come with a great weight of anxiety. They don't have to come with this burden of responsibility. It comes back to thinking about how do you want to raise these things and how do you go into them and preparing for them. I I kind of love a difficult conversation because the earlier that you have them, the closer to when the friction is and, and when it occurs, the easier it is to dress and it doesn't become a mountain. It's still that tiny little molehill. And for me, if you really want to make change, if you really want to make a difference, either in somebody's life, in a program, in a job, in whatever it is that you're trying to do, this is going to happen. You're going to have to have some difficult conversations with people along the way. So how do you prepare in advance and how do you get comfortable about doing them? It's exactly like the ice bath that we just talked about a little bit earlier, right? It's really uncomfortable the first time. The second time that you do it, it's exhilarating. The third time that you do it, it's just what you do. So you can practice, you can prepare and, you know, you can actually find ways to, you know, have that conversation over time as well. It's a critical skill that we we need to learn and it's not something that, you know, requires a, a role or a position to do it. I've been questioning people, I think, pretty much ever since I could walk. And, you know, I think that ability to challenge but challenge well and raise issues well is one that actually enables you to step up into greater leadership and a greater authority because when you can have the difficult conversations well, people actually do sometimes seek you out to be that voice around the table to make sure that we're getting that diversity of thought and perspective and we're not just following a, a pre-sort of judged or a predetermined pathway. You know, Sally, as I was hearing you say that, I suddenly had this wonderful relaxation moment in my body and I thought, I'm not challenging someone. I'm not moving into conflict. I'm just asking questions. Mm. And I think that is such a powerful reframe because we've all got the right to do exactly that. Sally, and you've given us so much sage advice. And of course, you know, at Leading Women, we're committed to activating women's leadership. What tool has ignited your leadership that you can share with us to add yet again into our leadership toolbox? So for me, I think we've covered it a lot today, but I'm going to go back to it again, is you've got to know yourself. When you know what your strengths are and know what your weaknesses are, knowledge is power. You can actually surround yourself with opportunities to play to your strengths and surround yourself with people who can actually uplift and come alongside your weaknesses and become stronger together. I think the other thing for me too is some advice that I'm actually going to steal from somebody else, which is David Thody in a coffee conversation that we had. And he was really giving me this wonderful, wonderful wisdom about whether I should actually go forward with this board role on an ASX listed company or not. And he just said to me, does it spark joy? Does it really bring you joy? Can you contribute in it? You said to me, Sally, that everything that you love to do is to contribute and to actually have an impact. Will you be able to have that in this organisation? And I said, I I really don't think so. And he said to me, well, you've only got a certain amount of hours in the day. And so choose wisely what you're giving those to, because there might be something a little bit less visible. There might be something that is a little um, less obvious, but brings you greater joy and has far greater impact in the long run on the people and planet and prosperity, which the things that you care about. Such sage advice. It's not about just doing the work. It's about things that spark joy, 
but importantly, marry your values. And in your case, it's certainly one of contribution. Sally Ann Williams, thank you so much for joining us at Leading Women. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, always really humbling. Uh, and wonderful to just have a chat and see if we can uplift all of the other women around us. Well, can I just say you've uplifted me. So if I can speak for any of our audience members, I hope they can say the same. Thanks for listening to Leading Women, where we can all activate and redefine the business landscape. So now it's over to you. Access the links, tips and tools discussed in this episode at womeninfocus.com.au. And subscribe to Leading Women so you don't miss an episode. Leave a review, spread the word, and let's commit to keeping the conversation going at hashtag leadingwomenAUS.